Welcome to the Healthy Habits for Life podcast. I'm Dr. Carol Perlman, a psychologist, health coach, and married mom of two boys. I went from a frazzled mompreneur who hits snooze until the last possible moment to a vibrant business owner who jumps out of bed at 5 a.m. excited about my day. I once felt completely overwhelmed by my endless task list, but have learned how to work smarter, not harder, by studying health habits, mindset, and time management. I love to teach others how to implement top recommendations for health, happiness, and success. Yes, busy moms can learn how to stop picking at your kids' leftover food, create a daily exercise routine, and stay on top of the to-do list so you go to bed feeling fantastic about your day. Tune in each week as I share my best strategies for creating and sustaining daily habits for a healthy lifestyle and chat with other experts in the health and wellness industry. I'm your host, Dr. Carol Perlman. This is the Healthy Habits for Life show. Welcome everyone to the Healthy Habits for Life podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Carol Perlman, and I'm so glad that you have joined me again for another episode. I have with me a colleague and friend today, Dan Levine, the owner of Engaging Minds. And today we are talking all about the kids and back to school, how we can support them and it's a really important conversation. So welcome, Dan. Thanks for having me. So glad you're here. Yeah, Dan and I have been planning this for a while. And if you don't know about Dan and his business, I'm really excited for you to learn more about it because it's such a valuable service and um, I want more parents to know about it. So glad you're here. So um, let me tell you all a little bit about Dan and why I brought him on today. And then we're get, gonna get into our topic. Um, so Dan has worked in schools doing admission and marketing for his entire career before he opened Engaging Minds. He had a five-year hiatus uh, attending business school and then doing some marketing consulting in New York before he went back into the school system and then started Engaging Minds. He has a passion for education and teaching students how to learn, which is really a unique niche, and I'm really looking forward to learning more about that. Um, and he lives with his wife and two small kids in a nearby community to me. So welcome again, Dan. Um, so tell me a little bit about the beginnings of, you know, what led you to form Engaging Minds and tell me about the origin of that journey. Uh, sure. My pleasure. Um, where did it begin? It began probably in my, my very first job uh, working in a school. I was working at Chapel Hill Chauncey Hall School, which is a small uh, private high school in Waltham, Massachusetts. And it was there for the first time. I was a young guy that was thrust into the job of, of admission director. Um, and it was the first time that I ever saw the idea of teaching students how to be students and how to learn. What they did there and I thought was so unique and so different they took their ninth grade, they put them in their own building with their own teachers, and they kind of modeled the curriculum around everyone working together towards that common goal of teaching these kids how to learn. And I thought to myself, goodness, this is great for ninth graders. It would also be great for 10th, 11th, 12th, and also 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th graders. Um, and I don't know, Carol, from when you grew up and when I grew up, but the expectation was you figure it out. You know, you jump from a five paragraph essay to a three to five page paper, you figure it out. You learn, you teach yourself how to study. Um, I think that we need to be teaching these skills explicitly to kids. And so that's what we set out to do. In the summer of 2010, I connected with a, a really wonderful educator. She helped me. She kind of took the vision um, of engaging minds and she put it into our first uh, methodology 
We started working with students in public libraries that November. Um, and the following July, we opened up our first location on Needham Street. And we've grown, you know, since then. And we're starting our 11th year. That is uh, such a wild story. You're so right. You know, when I think back to when I was in school, they were definitely not teaching us how to, how to study or how to learn. And, you know, my kids are now in seventh and going into seventh and 10th. So they're definitely doing a much better job. I think especially our district is really great at that. When they transition to sixth grade, they're doing a great job, I think. But I know not every school is. And I think whatever they're getting now is, is definitely not the norm. Um, and it's a huge need because not everybody kid, not every kid, um, not everybody just inherently has the skills and not everybody, not every kid can just figure it out and not every parent is equipped to help the kid figure it out. So I think it's a huge service that you are providing from for them so that they can then take advantage of the education of the school system. Yeah, you know, the the or sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. The the kids um, and, and the parents, um, it's just something where if if you can teach these skills from an early age and you can be really explicit about teaching these skills, some schools have begun to do it significantly better. And that's fantastic. And that's the goal that we teach more of a skills based approach. And lots of schools are, are doing that. Um, but there's always kids who need a little bit more or need a more personalized approach. And that's what that's what we're doing is we're, we only work individually one on one with the kids and really try to get inside each kid's head and help them identify and empower them to identify the strategies that work best for them. Yeah, because they're every kid, like they're different learning styles, right? Different kids have different preferences Correct. for how they like to learn and how they can learn more easily. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, tell us a little bit more. So like, can you give me some examples or what are some of the skills that you help kids with? So um, the, the definition that we like to use of, of executive function comes from uh, the book Late Lost and Unprepared by uh, Cooper Kahn and Dietzel. It's a wonderful book. If you've read Malcolm Gladwell or Daniel Pink, it's the same idea. They've taken all this research and they've boiled it down so you know, a common person like me can understand. Um, and their definition is uh, executive functions are a set of processes. And here's the important part that all have to do with managing oneself and one's resources in order to achieve a goal. So it's what do we do to manage ourselves and the resources at our disposal in order to achieve a task, a goal, whatever it is that, that we're trying uh, to do. And that's the definition um, that we like to use. We break executive functions down into uh, nine different uh, components. Um, people break them out in different ways, but we like to be really explicit uh, about the, the skills and the strategies that we're teaching. So we break it down into, into these, the following nine um, components. Organization of material, uh, which is both physical, like backpacks and binders and desks and lockers, um, but also digital. What does your Google Classroom or your Google Drive look like? Can you find things not relying on search or recent docs, but can you actually go back into folders and, and find things? We talk about organization of ideas. That's organization of ideas for writing, for reading comprehension, for studying, planning and time management, task initiation, uh, shifting and flexibility, uh, shifting between one activity and another. It's sometimes hard for kids to stop and make a shift. It's also hard, it, heck, it's hard for adults 
to be flexible when something doesn't go the way you think it's going to go and be able to kind of in that moment be flexible and think of a different way of approaching something. Uh, And then things like working memory, self-monitoring, kind of the follow through. Are we submitting everything online that we need to be submitting? Are we following through on the work that we need to do? Uh, And then we break it out into impulsivity and emotional control. But our primary focus um, is usually those first five or six, the, the materials, the ideas, the planning time management, the task initiation, um, and the shifting and flexibility and the self-monitoring. And does every kid, I love how you break it down like that, does every kid go through a sequence or do you, do you customize the plan based on the child's needs? So that's why we only work one-on-one with kids so we can personalize, right? Some kids come to us, you know, well-organized. They've got their backpack in order. They know where to find things. They, they've got their Google Drive organized, but they can't get the ideas out of their head and onto paper in the way they sound in their head. Or they just, it's overwhelming studying for a midterm exam. Um, or I've got a long-term assignment. <laughs> I, I leave them all to the last minute. Um, so it really depends on what the kids' needs are. But the way we do it is, and I, this works really well for the kids, We use the kids' own schoolwork as the foundation to teach the skills. And that's how you can really personalize it because you're working in real time with schoolwork that's meaningful and relevant that the kids need to get done anyway. So they're bought in. They're getting some help finishing that and getting through that. But what they're learning as we do that are better ways for them to be accessing, managing, organizing, and getting through uh, that schoolwork. You, you folks can't see it, but on the wall behind me, there's we have, and we have posters in all of our, our rooms when we work in person that says one size does not fit all. And that's a reminder both to the students and to our instructors that there's more than one way of solving a problem. And what our job is to empower the kids to figure out their best way. So each of your two kids, Carol, could approach things in different ways. And we want to help them figure out, it's totally okay. We want to figure out their best way, though, to make it easier for them. Yeah. Yeah. That makes so much sense. Um, how do kids usually feel? This is a little bit of a tangent, but how do kids usually feel about coming in to work with you on these kinds of things? So it's funny. We have, it, it obviously runs the gamut. We certainly have kids who are thrilled and are like, mom, dad, thank you. I'm overjoyed. This is exactly what I needed. And it's a way for them to get mom and dad off their back perhaps. And where they've got they've got someone they can trust and rely on, and that is there on their team, and their their coach and their mentor can kind of guide them through things. So for some kids, it's just a blessing that they're like, "Thank you, it's exactly what I needed." For other kids, they're a little more reticent, and they might feel they might not be as aware uh, of the support they need. They might think, "I don't want to do it because mom thinks I'm not smart, or dad thinks I can't do it." And really, what we try to explain to the kids is, and and I think this is really important about executive function coaching versus, you know, academic coaching, you know, we're not, or, you know, content coaching, you're not coming to us because, you know, you quote unquote, can't do it. That's, that's not what this is. It's not about the content. The capacity is there. What it's really about is showcasing all that you can to the rest of the world. And for a lot of kids, the, the approach to how they're doing things, the strategies they're using, that's what needs the the support, not the content. The content, a lot of the kids get just fine, but managing it and and showcasing it, that's where we're trying to help. So do you find that once they meet with you and you go through that spiel that like you're able to get them on board and and get them hooked in? So it's it's funny. I tell a lot of parents who say like, you know, you're going to get a really resistant 
child when you meet them. And I meet every family before we start. We do a self-assessment. We meet now we're meeting over Zoom. Um, but what I tell parents is, look, 99% of the time, I'll get your child's head nodding to at least acknowledge that this is something that might be helpful to them. And, and really what it does, that conversation, for a lot of kids, it acts as a lifeline. It's, it's one of the first times where a lot of these kids can feel like there's hope. They've been kind of out to sea. They've been struggling. They've been drowning. And we're a little bit of a lifetime when I can explain to them how we're going to help. And usually that gets kids on board to at least grudgingly say, yeah, I'm willing to give this a shot. Hello, friends. It's Carol Perlman coming on to say hello. And thank you so much for listening. I hope you've been enjoying these episodes as much as I've enjoyed creating them for you. I wanted to make sure you knew about a special program that is currently being offered on my website. If you go to www.healthybenumber4lifebycarolperlman.com, you'll see more information about my current time management classes. If you follow me on social media, if you listen to my podcast, you know that I believe time management is behind almost every single one of your goals. And the more you can perfect your skills in time management, the more successful you're going to be in reaching your goals. I have created what I believe is a really outstanding class. I've been studying time management for years. I've been perfecting my own system and I've been teaching others for almost 15 years now. I created an online course, a 21 day habit formation course that is now available to you. They, quote unquote, they say it takes 21 days to create a new habit. And I find that that is often time the case. So go look on the website, healthy for life by carolperlman.com and you will see current offerings. I have several different time management classes for specific audiences, but the general one is just the it's about time, time management class. You'll see all the details there. You'll see the upcoming start date and there's always the opportunity to buy the workbook and complete the course as a self-paced course and take it at your own speed. It's one exercise a day. All you need to commit is 10, maybe 15 minutes a day. Step-by-step, you will create new habits that last a lifetime for better time management. Check it out, and I hope to see you in one of the classes. Thanks again for listening. Yeah, well, I'm sure that makes a difference, just really um, positioning it in that way, you know, that like you give them a lot of positive input, you know, you have what it takes. We're just going to make things easier for you. And yeah, absolutely. Um, so what did you find? Okay. I, I really wish we didn't have to talk about this, but let's talk about COVID a little bit. So, you know, there, there's normal business operation and then of course there's COVID operation. So what, what have you found in the past year and a half? Um, I mean, it's amazing. You've been able to pivot your business and, and kind of change your mode of operation, but continue to help kids. Thank goodness. And so what have you observed in the past year and a half? So um, we were very lucky that we were able to, to move online. And ours was a business that was well-suited uh, for remote. We, we closed for a week um, in the middle of March of 2020 and just rebooted everything. We got everything online. We retrained our staff. Um, we got Zoom set up. They, we'd been using Zoom anyways for snow days and when kids were sick or were traveling or whatever. So we, all of our instructors had some experience with Zoom before then. Um, but ours, you know, once we got through that initial transition, we had to figure out a few bumps along the way. Um, I tell people that I'm kicking myself now, 
Like I had no idea how successfully this could work online. Um, and now we're working with kids all over the country, which is just uh, fantastic. Yeah, it's fantastic. We actually have, we're international. We have a student in Panama now. I mean, it's really. Holy, that's incredible. Um, well, it's because, I mean, thanks to Zoom, right? We're, we're sharing screens. We're seeing faces. The technology is great and it's reliable. But this work can be done online, especially with modern technology and being able to get into Google Classroom together or Schoology or Canvas, whatever the schools are using, but also into Google Drive. We can work on the same paper, on the same assignments together. It's like being next to each other. Um, so we were very lucky in that in that regard. What what we saw was really interesting, and I bet you a lot of parents listening to this can, can understand, what the pandemic did was it pulled back the curtain on what's actually happening with our kids in school. Because you don't see it. They're in school. They're paying attention. You hope you know, they're doing their thing. But all of a sudden, when mom and dad are trying to work or do their thing and kids are on remote school, you know, a class of 16, 18, 20 kids is really hard to manage on, on Zoom. Parents were seeing like, holy cow my kid's disorganized, or my kid doesn't know how to follow through, or my kid can't get to meetings on time. Um, so we actually uh, saw during the pandemic, we saw kids for, we got a whole new slew of kids that we might not have seen before uh, and earlier. So our, our elementary numbers really increased during the pandemic because a lot of parents, you don't see the, the struggle until you're switching classes in middle school and you've got homework and papers and tests and different teachers. That's when we typically would get our kids. In elementary school, all of a sudden, parents are like, I need help with remote, with remote learning. Um, and so that was a big shift for, for what we saw. And then, you know, what the kids were dealing with. It was, it was a whole new way of doing school. It was a whole new way of approaching their work. Um, there, wasn't, there weren't handouts that the kids were getting. There was all on you know, Schoology or Canvas or Google Classroom, and kids had to learn how to navigate that. They had to be flexible. They had to be patient. Um, and they needed to, the kids who weren't so savvy tech-wise, needed to really spend some time figuring that piece out. And that's really hard. Yeah. Um, you know, I think there's a, there's a psych aspect to this, too, uh, for the kids of the anxiety and the stress that comes along with school anyways. But all of a sudden, you shift things for some kids. That just added an enormous burden to them. And, and you know, Carol, one of the things I love about executive function and strengthening these skills is it absolutely helps kids feel more in control of their academics, which in turn reduces anxiety and academic stress, right? When you feel out of control, you don't know what to do. You can't, you're not following through. You feel like you're flailing. And all of a sudden, you get it under control. You have a plan. You use a calendar, and you can kind of map things out. All of a sudden, the self-confidence starts uh, coming back. I can. And anxiety I, comes down. <laughs> I just love how you put that, that it pulled back the curtain. And I think I can definitely see how that played out here. And, and I, I hadn't put it in those words, but that has definitely been my observation, too, about COVID, which is that whatever people were struggling with before, it was what they tended to struggle. You know, it just kind of got magnified um, through COVID. And so that's really interesting that there's that parallel um, with the kids, but in a positive way, kind of. It, it gave parents and educators and support people like you the opportunity to identify kids that were struggling and could really benefit um, from extra help and get to them early on. 
And I, I see that, you know, I work with adults. Um, I work with a lot of adults with ADHD. And when I hear the stories, you know, people who are in their forties, fifties, even sixties now, they got nothing as a kid. So they went through so many years of struggle um, and it had such a powerful impact on their self-esteem, you know, feeling like they weren't a good student. They couldn't do things well. They couldn't follow through on expectations. And then years later it gets identified. Well, there was a thing going on that, that explains why that was. And so there's so much self-esteem wrapped up in academic functioning. And so if you can prevent, like I'm kind of dealing with the damage, you know, helping people deal with the damage that was done from untreated problems or insufficient support. So if you can prevent that by getting to these kids earlier on, that's, that's just such a gift to them. I I agree. And it it just reminds me of a a little bit of the science behind executive function. Okay. Okay. Just, this, and this is as deep as I'm going to go into the science, but the, the executive functions live in the frontal lobe of our brain. And that's the last region of the brain to fully develop. And they used to say it was till the mid to late 20s. Now they're saying into the, your mid to late 30s. So it's fully developed. However, around age six, so first grade, around age 10, fourth, fifth grade, and then through adolescence until age 19, 20, that's a very fertile time for the frontal lobe of the brain. So the idea there is, school-age kids are at the right time to be teaching these skills explicitly because their brains are ready to receive it. However, we also have to remember that their brains are still developing in the frontal lobe and in the executive functions. And to think that a child should be able to do something may not necessarily be fair, right? We think they should because their older sibling did it or a friend is able to do something. But if their brain is not there, that's not the child's fault. We need to teach the skill explicitly. But what's nice is just what you're saying. This is a fertile time to be able to teach these skills and give the kids a head start, not only on, you know, middle school, high school, college, but graduate school and beyond in their Mm -hmm. careers. These are life skills of how to organize and prioritize and plan and manage time and initiate tasks, all that stuff. It's so true. I say to anyone I work with, you know, the youngest I get is a young adult, like maybe 19 to 25. And I say to them, what an incredible gift. The fact that you're working on all of these skills now, you know, that just sets you up for a whole lifetime of functioning better, living better. I mean, it has such a payoff and it's just an incredible, incredible gift to these kids. You know, and as we're thinking about and talking about COVID and we're shifting back, hopefully into full-time school, going forward, right? My, my hope is that, the, you know, whether it's masks or whatever, we'll find a way to keep kids in school for the entire school year. We don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know if, if teachers are going to continue to use Google Classroom as religiously as they had or they had to. Uh, we don't know how much can be online versus, you know, in terms of their homework or, or tracking. So kind of paying attention to that and figuring that out with your child is going to be really important at the start of school to see what, what's, is, are things reverting back? Are things staying where they were during COVID? Is there going to be some combination? That can be hard. And that can be, you know, test your flexibility. But understanding that with your child, we just don't know wh- which way teachers or schools are going to go yet. Um, and we have to kind of keep our eyes open to make sure we're prepared for that because we're going to have to help our kids and guide our kids into this kind of new, hopefully post-COVID, uh, academic world. 
Yeah. It's a really, really good point because it, you know, it did show us and the educators, and I don't know much about this part, but you know, it showed us what can be done and, and the educators did an incredible job. And then there's a question that, I mean, in lots of industries, how much of these COVID changes will we hang on to? Because we realize, oh, wow, like this is actually really better. And then how much will they go back? But you're right. It's going to be a change. They had a whole year of getting used to all this online learning and, um, and now there might be some changes. So what else, like, do you have other tips for parents, you know, in terms of what you think we might expect our kids might go through and how we can help them as they transition back to this yet another strange year? Yeah. Let, let me, um, let me, let me offer this kind of bigger thought first. Okay. Um, you know, we always hope that our kids are going to mature and grow and start the new year fresh and be ready to go and on top of things. And it's gonna be a better year than last year. But what we need to remind parents is, unless you've done something actively to change habits, the kids, the kids are gonna fall back into where they were, right? Hope is not enough. We need to do something explicitly in teaching them and coaching them uh, to bring about change. Like habits don't just develop uh, overnight for a lot of these kids. Um, so just kind of keep that in mind. We every year is a reboot. I like to think of just like I know Carol, you've been playing a little golf um, re recently. But you know, I was out with a friend the other day, and you know, we both had a really bad hole. Every hole is a reboot. You get to start fresh, right? So with the school year, you are starting fresh. Um, but let's remember that unless we've done something to actively change habits, the kids may or may not be ready. For that next level so we have to be thinking um a little bit about that but otherwise i think um you know thinking about one great thing to do is preview the schedule with the kids make sure they understand you know what is my week going to look like what what is my you know sunday through saturday going to look like what activities am i doing how much homework do we think i'm getting um what am i responsible for at home kind of just managing all of that and kind of previewing that with your kids um, can be a very helpful way to go into the school year with a better understanding. It's going to get busy. All of a sudden, it's going to get busy. Um, but previewing that with kids can be um, super helpful. Great point. Yep. Um, I think, um, you know, looking at, at organizational systems can also be helpful, right? So, um, you know, the, the tough thing is, doing things theoretically and then applying them are two totally different things, right? So, you know, an organizational system that may or may not have worked for us with a, with a binder or whatever may or may not work for your child. Um, and so I think thinking about how are we going to organize things? Do we want a binder for every class? Do we want one, one big binder? Do we want um, folders or, or an accordion folder? Thinking through with your kids about how you want to organize uh, this year could also be very helpful. The key is your flexibility, your kid's flexibility, once you actually get into the flow to see if it's working. And if it's not working, being willing to say, okay, let's stop. That maybe wasn't the best path. Let's think of a different way uh, of approaching it. But doing some of that previewing of the schedule of organization, um, kind of what is my day going to look like, even the time management of when I need to wake up and what are the, what's the process for that, uh, all that can be very helpful for the start of school. What if, I mean, so I'm, 
um, I'm just kind of anticipating like how, how this could work. What if you're someone for whom it's not your strength, you know, like if organization isn't your strength and here you have a, your child who's also struggling. And of course you really want to help the child. Where can parents turn if, if they're not the best person, you know, if they're not suited to help their child figure this out, are teachers open so to I, questions? Yeah, I think, I think a teacher is a great place to start. Right. I mean, especially for an elementary school kid, I think a teacher is a great place to start to see what we can do in the classroom and how we might be able to help. Um, there are guidance counselors for older kids that might be uh, a good person to chat with and see if there's resources in the school available to them. Um, and then, you know, there's places like us, third parties who can kind of step in and really help guide um, the kids, you know, I get a, a, a lot of parents and, you know, I, I have a nine-year-old and an almost seven-year-old and, and your kids are a little bit older, but, um, you know, get, getting them, um, and figuring out what, what their needs are, um, is really hard and, and, and really important. Um, Yeah. So if like, if, so if you're the parent, you're trying, you, you, maybe you're listening to this and you're thinking, okay, I want to help my kid. I want to follow up on some of these steps, but I'm not the right person to do it. So maybe you can contact the teacher, contact the other, the other professionals in the school, the guidance counselor, and then maybe look into some third party, um, organizations like yourself that can come in. And a lot of times I'm sure you see this, that a lot of times it's actually better if it's not the parent, trying to step in and and help the kid like there's so many battles that can be playing out that sometimes it's just better if it's not parent and, and that's absolutely true and i get a lot of parents who say look you might say similar things to my to my child but they're going to hear it better uh from you and, and the other thing carol is i get a lot of parents who are very self-aware who end up after that first conversation saying you know what man where were you guys when i was in school or uh, i talked to a lot of moms um, more than I talk to dads, I talk to a lot of moms who say, um, could you help my husband with, with, with this stuff? So, I mean, what's interesting is it can be a lifelong struggle. And just as you were saying, you know, at, at the beginning, you know, teaching these skills at a, at a, you know, at an early age can be very helpful because when you get to adulthood, you can still be struggling with these things and might need some help with it. Um, but then there's people like you that can help the, uh, the adults. Then they come to me and that's really how you and I started talking on a professional level because um, I work with a lot of the parents, you know, who have similar struggles and, and I see it. I mean, it's, it's really, really powerful to me as I start to talk to people in their forties, fifties and sixties and seventies even. And if time management and executive functioning is a struggle for you, it can have a profound effect on your day and feeling like, you know, every day you try, you feel hopeful. And then at the end of the day, you're going to bed. And yet again, you feel like nothing got done. You know, you spent your day in the haze, lost, not knowing what to do, procrastinating, you know, on getting started with that thing that, you know, you're supposed to be doing. And it's really demoralizing and discouraging. Right. And imagine being a kid feeling that about school, right? And, And not ever having been taught explicitly how to do that stuff. That's really demoralizing. It really is. I can get a kid down. Yeah, it really is on both levels, child and adult. And so this work is really important to give people the tools that they need at whatever age to be successful in, you know, whatever they're taking on. So um, Dan and I, for people listening, Dan and I have some programs in the works. We're working on some collaborations and I'm really excited to see what we can 
what we can do together because I think, you know, our approaches have a lot of overlap. They have a little bit of, um, you know, we look at things in some unique ways, but I think together we can really help a lot of people and that's our mission. So let's end with that, Dan. Where can people find you if they are intrigued and want to learn more about your services? Where can they find more about Engaging Minds? Best place is on our website, engagingmindsonline.com. If you type in Engaging Minds into Google, you'll probably find us. Um, and my email's on there. Um, there's a contact us page and I'm happy just to chat and see if we're even the right fit for, for folks, for family. Super. And do you anticipate having capacity this, this fall, you know, for new, for taking on new students? Yep. We're, um, we're, we're getting lots of calls. We're increasing our capacity and we will continue to increase our capacity um, uh, as we go. Okay. Fantastic. All right. Well, there you have it. Dan Levine from Engaging Minds. I hope everybody enjoyed getting to know you and um, learning more about what you do. I learned some new things today about how you help kids, even though I knew you were doing great things. I learned more, um, which is great. And again, I'm really excited about our future collaboration. So thanks so much, Dan, for being on today. It's my pleasure. I look forward to it as well. And really, this was a lot of fun. So thanks for, uh, yeah. thanks for inviting me on. Oh, my pleasure. And thanks everyone for listening. And I hope to see you back again next week. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Healthy Habits for Life. If you loved today's episode, please follow me on iTunes and leave a five-star rating and review. These are so important and will enable others like you to find this podcast. Also, please share this podcast with your friends you know would also love it so we can get the word out. Thanks again for joining me. Until next week.